Hello, folks. This is Chopping It Up with CJ. I'm your host, Chris James, and this is Weekside Wednesday. This is actually episode seven of season two of Weekside Wednesday. For those of you all who are new to the show, go ahead and give me a follow on Twitter at CJFlorida9. It's at CJ, the entire state of Florida spelled out in the number nine. And on Weekside Wednesdays, what I generally do is go over stories that interest me or just things that I want to talk about. It's more of the freestyle version of the show with uh, the other episodes having more of a theme to them. Turf Talk Thursdays, I go over the upcoming games, and betting odds, things like that. Uh, Fantasy Football Friday, it's in the name. I talk about fantasy football and then make good Mondays. I generally go over the prior week's games. I make good on those bets that I give you you know, confidence scores on and also tell you to take because if I'm not taking account for the misses that I have, the successes that I have don't count. So I'm going to go ahead and jump in here for Week Side Wednesday. We're going to start off with a, a topic of conversation. So I have taken, taken a trip down to Tampa, Florida. Uh, for those of you all who uh, don't know, I used to live down in Tampa, Florida, and I moved to beautiful Charlotte, North Carolina. I came down here for a couple of reasons, but one of the focal points was to come to, or go to, I should say, since it's already happened, a wedding between two of my really good friends, uh, and it was a beautiful ceremony. Had a great time with all the folks, and it's always excellent to see true love ex- show itself, you know, to actually see two people want to be together and experience all of life together. And it got me thinking. Outside of the fun that I was having, seeing them be so happy and being able to experience things for myself, this is a football show. So I wanted to bring a little flavor into it and bring in how relationships look in the NFL, specifically the people that are thought of as the franchise's face. So quarterbacks, okay? And how they relate to their head coaches, in some cases, offense coordinator or just team in general. And what I want to do is I want to look at new relationships and old relationships. So what constitutes each? A new relationship is a new combination of a head coach slash team, whatever it may be, matched up with a quarterback. An old relationship is one that's gone on for at least two seasons in perpetuity. And I'm going to do it as kind of what I think a relationship can, can stand for. You're it's a mountain of sorts, right? You're building that hill. You start down low and you get up to the top and hopefully you don't go all the way down to the bottom. So that's how this is going to be structured. So with the new relationships, I'm going to start with what I see is rocky ones or I don't like to call them bad, but hey, sometimes they're bad. I want to work up to the good new relationships. And then with the old relationships, I want to start with the good old relationships and then go down to the ones that just aren't working out. Ones that the effort's not being put in by at least one, if not both of the parties. So let's go ahead and get in here and uh, get this going. So the new relationships, I want to start with one that uh, looks like it came to an end before it was even halfway done. And that's Matt Ryan and Frank Wright slash the Colts. And just to give you a little bit more detail on what I'm going to be doing, I'm going to describe certain relationships that you can either A, put on this team slash quarterback relationship or B, have as a romantic or, you know, that type of relationship. So it describes both. So you all know where I'm coming from. And if you feel me, you feel me on this. All right. So here's how I describe the relationship between Matt Ryan, Frank Wright, and the Colts. And it can, again, be applied to romantic relationships as well. Having a party misrepresent themselves 
and what they're bringing to the table because it can derail a relationship. And I feel like the Colts, to some extent, sold Matt Ryan a bill of goods. Okay? Matt Ryan thought he was going to a team with a strong running game that also would use play action and the line would be able to hold up. They knew they were going to have holes in that line. They knew that they had some issues with how they wanted to scheme stuff. And so they brought on a veteran quarterback and they didn't hold up to their end of the bargain. But they put the blame on him. They've benched him. And he hasn't played well. But at the same point in time, Matt Ryan expected to come into a certain situation that the Colts sold him a bill of goods on. This is one of the worst offensive lines in the entire NFL. And it has a former All-Pro playing guard for it. So this is a bad relationship from the start. The Colts knew what they were getting. And if they had a line like this and they knew it, they should have gone out and pursued a quarterback that was more mobile than a guy in his last few years who doesn't move well. Let's move on to the next you know, bad relationship. This is Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett. Now, this is the case of someone breaking up with their long-term partner because they thought the grass was greener. But you and your new person got together, and when you got together, you didn't know each other as well as you thought you did. You know, everyone was coming over. Even I was convinced that this was going to be a great relationship. Russell Wilson, he'd been slighted by Seattle. So he got his way out of town and went over to Denver. And everything looked all peachy. And it looks like neither of these two units actually looked at each other and realized that they should have never gotten together. Daniel Hackett wants a lot of intermediate things that are over the middle. Play action, getting Russell Wilson to turn his back and not be Russell Wilson immediately. He's got to see the field, then he can do all this stuff. It's literally an offense built for someone opposite of Russell Wilson. Because Russell Wilson, what does he do well? Throws the ball down the field on the exterior. He does play action, but in general... A lot of boot, get him out so that he doesn't have these large people in front of him. If you look at a passing chart for Russell Wilson over the last virtually half decade, he doesn't throw anything in the intermediate area of the field over the middle. Less than 5% of his passes. Yet, that's like Nathaniel Hackett's bread and butter. This is the worst possible relationship. Them not knowing each other and Russell Wilson thinking the grass is going to be greener. We're going to move on to the next type of relationship. This is Carson Wentz and Ron Rivera. We've all heard it by now. Ron Rivera had to walk back what he said because it was misrepresented. I don't think he might have meant it the way it came out, but it came out. And this is a case when a party has clearly shown you who they are. How can you get mad at them for being who they are? Carson Wentz has been the same guy for years. And it feels like the Washington Commanders, whatever they're called now, forgot that Carson Wentz was Carson Wentz. So they traded for him, thinking that he was going to be something different, something new. Carson Wentz has played the same way Carson Wentz has played for the last three to four years of his career. So you can't get mad at him for doing it and then say it's because of quarterback that we're struggling. It's because you misunderstood who that person was and all they're doing is being themselves. The next one is Arthur Smith and, well, this isn't specific to quarterback, but it's specific to what should have happened. This is Arthur Smith and the Falcons taking Kyle Pitts instead of Justin Fields. You know... Your family and friends can have the best of intentions for you. But you don't have to do what they think is right. You, inside of you, know you, knows your type. And it might not be who they think fits you. But they fit you. And Arthur Smith came over from the Tennessee Titans as the OC. And he took over this organization as the head coach. And they had a chance to draft a local kid in Justin Fields. But instead they took Kyle Pitts. Why? Because draft pundits, a lot of people said Kyle Pitts 
you take him over Justin Fields. And yes, technically, even I had him rated higher than Justin Fields, but I thought this was a perfect match, personally, to take Justin Fields. But they took Kyle Pitts because everyone, all the draft pundits, all the folks said, Kyle Pitts is, the, is the, the one you need to take. But you have an offense that doesn't utilize a tight end. So why the hell did you take a tight end number four? You have an offense where you need an athletic quarterback to get out on boots, who operates extremely well outside the pocket, throwing on the run, who also is from the freaking area. You had Justin Fields in your pocket. Could even trade it down and still got the value, even though that's a dumb idea to do if you have a quarterback you want. But instead of listening to yourself, Arthur Smith, and knowing who you were, you let the organization take Kyle Pitts, and you want nothing to do with Kyle Pitts and his strengths, which is literally being an oversized wide receiver masquerading as a tight end. Next one is Justin Fields and Matt Eberflus slash Luke Getzey. This is a situation or relationship where one party tries to turn someone into something they want them to be instead of helping them be the best version of them. You ever come across someone who literally, like, if I could just fix them, it's the dumbest thing you ever heard. If someone ever says that about someone else, know that that thing is doomed, okay? And this is what it looked like the Bears were doing on the offensive side of the ball with Justin Fields. Everything about Justin Fields, they did different. I just described what he does, and they did very little. Things like get him outside, because guess what? This game against the Patriots that he played, that was the game plan they should have been using from jump with Justin Fields. But they tried to use a game plan for, I don't know, Matt Ryan. So, maybe that one can be fixed, and that's why it's further down the list, because at least it looks like they're starting to do the job. Understanding who and what Justin Fields is, and giving him the opportunity to flourish, instead of trying to change him into something they want him to be. The next relationship is Trevor Lawrence and Todd Peterson. Now this one is a good one. It's a pairing where one of the parties has been through what is, what was a successful union that ended up not working out for whatever reason. So they know some of the pitfalls that they may face and they nurture the relationship so that it can work out. And that's what it looks like they're doing. They're actually looking like they're trying to let Trevor Lawrence become a really good quarterback. Yeah, there's going to be some missteps, but Peterson, a former Super Bowl winning coach who had a quarterback with a lot of the same skill set in Carson Wentz, knows some of those things that he's going to go through. A lot of the negatives that Trevor Lawrence has about his game fits the negatives that Carson Wentz has, except for they are different players. Trevor Lawrence is a little more talented, but more so Trevor Lawrence comes off differently than Carson Wentz. Take that as you will. So they will probably be successful. And Doug Peterson is bringing that along. Even if they do have some ups and downs, it looks like a good relationship. Then the last one for new pairings. It's Daniel Jones and Brian Dable. Not all relationships look the way people expect, but those that put in the effort to make it work bear the fruits of their labor. Listen, do I think that Brian Dable came in saying, Daniel Jones is the quarterback I want to move forward with. I don't think he said that, but Daniel Jones was his quarterback. And instead of trying to make Daniel Jones out to be something he wasn't, like what seemed like happened with Justin Fields early, instead of blaming Daniel Jones for some of the missteps that they might have had, even though, yes, they're winning, but there have been missteps on that offense, kind of like a team in their conference has done with Carson Wentz, what Brian Dable has done is he's instilled faith in his guys, and they're playing their tails off for him. 
Daniel Jones isn't perfect, but Daniel Jones looks a lot more competent now that he has someone supporting him. Even if that person might not have Daniel Jones as ideal candidate, what he's doing is making the relationship work with Daniel Jones. And Daniel Jones and the rest of that unit is giving them everything they, that they have to Brian Dable. So that's how you come in and you actually stand up and be a person who wants relationships to work. Now that we've talked about the new ones, let's talk about the old ones. Because for me, they're more fun. They're the ones that have weathered the storm of year one and they've gotten through it. They've gotten over the mountain. So let's see how some good ones look. We're going to work our way down to bad relationships that don't look like they're going to work out. So we're going to start with my favorite one. And if anyone has paid attention to me or followed me, you know what I think about both of these people, but especially the quarterback in this. And that's Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. They're a successful union that doesn't allow struggles to derail them. They're fun and legitimately work well together through thick and thin. There's been a lot of changes in Kansas City. They had downturn last year that made them three and four, and they didn't look like the same team. Then they rattled off nine straight wins. That's what good units do. They lost Tyree Kill, generational talent, the guy you create on Madden. What'd they do? They didn't say, no, we're gonna go down the dumps. They didn't start losing games just because of him. They retooled, worked together, and they made it work. In fact, look like they're having fun while doing it. They're always one of the most fun teams to watch. And when they do have a bad moment like they did against the Indianapolis Colts, they come back and they kick the teeth in against the team that beat them in the Super Bowl in their house, like they did to the Bucks. The next good relationship, Josh Allen and Sean McDermott. See, this is the driven pairing that generally can, that's generally successful, but hasn't yet achieved their final goal. You know, they're on the cusp, but haven't yet shared a ring. See, Buffalo is everyone's pick to win the Super Bowl, and I can understand why. They're uber talented, and that's step one, but also, they're starting to put the pieces together mentally. But they're still not there yet. Buffalo still hasn't proven it. And it looks pretty good for them this year that they could do that, but again, they gotta prove it. They have all the tools, and they're working together, and they seem to genuinely like each other. That works in a romantic relationship as well. If you have people that actually want to work together, any sort of relationship, but in general, in a romantic relationship that are working towards it, they can get that ring that they both covet. The next good relationship, in my opinion, Jalen Hurts and Nick Sirianni. This is a funny one for me. It's a combo that knows who they are as people, are comfortable being themselves, accentuates each other's strengths, and doesn't fall victim to outside opinions. And their success in their youth is a testament to their shared experience. I'm, I'm not going to lie here. I didn't know if that Nick Sirianni hire was going to be a good one because, yeah, whether it was the awkward press conference early or the game scripting that looked just crazy for having the quarterback he had in year two of Jalen Hurts slash year one of Nick Sirianni, didn't know if it was going to work. That's me being judgmental. But the media was judgmental of Jalen Hurts from day one. And even now, there's still some people who are just waiting for the young man to fail. Here's what I'll do. I'll offer the grace that I always ask for young quarterbacks, especially ones that look like me, but especially for guys like Jalen Hurts. Dudes who bust their tail, you gotta love it. Nick Sirianni understood early on, I think it took him about four games. This is not working. This was my vision, but it's not working. I'm working with someone who's busting their tail to be the best they can be. Let me work with the things that work well for him. They made the playoffs. Granted, they got their teeth kicked in against the Bucks, but it was with a 
second-year quarterback, basically a first-year starter, and a rookie head coach. Guess what they did this year? They got the backing from the organization. They both came in stronger and better. They're utilizing each other's strengths. They're playing some, and that's got to be respected, especially with them both being young in their professions. You got to root for people like that, and they're being themselves. Again, they don't need to look how you want them to look. They don't need to function how you want them to function. They work well together. And kudos to them, only undefeated team in the NFL. The next one is Lamar Jackson and John Harbaugh. Now, this is the situation where one party depends on the other for virtually everything. They're not doing it out of malice of any sort, but because they've seen their partner handle, well, everything. They think they're super whatever, Superman, super person, but in this instance, Superman. Not realizing that the other party is human and could be at their breaking point. See, the Baltimore Ravens, I truly believe that John Harbaugh cares about Lamar Jackson. I believe that in general, the organization in most instances cares about Lamar Jackson. But they've become so dependent on Lamar Jackson to save the day that Lamar Jackson in the moments that matters this year, and this is the first time in virtually his life that this has happened consistently. Lamar Jackson doesn't let the same guy in the fourth quarter because Lamar Jackson has so much on his damn plate. And it's not because John Harbaugh is like, nah, I don't care about Lamar Jackson. It's because he's seen him do it before. But eventually, everyone's human and everyone has a breaking point. And that's what the, the Baltimore Ravens look like to me. And it's crappy because unlike some situations where you feel comfortable blaming a party, this doesn't feel like a blamable situation, even though it's got to be changed because they're going to lose a young man who's busting his tail. And I don't want him to be negatively impacted by this situation. The next one is Tom Brady and the Bucks. Now, this one is a little sensitive to me because of what's going on in his personal life, but I'm going to keep this strictly football with the tie to relationships. But this is a relationship where both parties decide to part ways on completely amicable terms, which is a hard goal to achieve. They've had the highest success, but realized it was just time to go our separate ways. Then they kind of got cold feet, got scared, and went back to each other. And it's turned into a complete mess. See, that's what it felt like here. The Bucks had Tom Brady come in and in year one, he changed the culture of winning. They believed in someone because they all they had the talent in most respects. That was a team that could win. And I think even with Jameis Winston, they would have won a playoff game. But they wouldn't have won a Super Bowl. Tom Brady instilled winning in them and how to do it. And even last year, through injuries that they didn't suffer in year one of Tom Brady, they still came back to almost beat the eventual Super Bowl champions in the Rams, if not for a pretty doggone throw from Matt Stafford, but an excellent catch by Cooper Cup. And then Tom Brady retired, ruled off into the sunset as the number one player in that season, voted by his peers or however they do that. It was the NFL's number one player on that countdown show, the top 100. And though Bucks fans were upset, they weren't mad at him. Not the people who are just, you know, Ridiculous people, maybe, but in general, Bucks fans were like, well, thank you. And the organization, thank you. And then 40 days later, Tom Brady came back. And Tom Brady, for the first time in his career, doesn't look like Tom Brady. Not on the field, off the field. Because Tom Brady had real life hit him. Not going to get into the real life stuff because 
with all due respect, not my business. And to be candid, folks, it is not your business. On the Bucks side, they thought that they could just let that old record play. You had two people in new situations where you had one guy who was the DC is now the head coach and he's doing way too much. And you had one guy who was the OC, but is now not just the OC, but he's got to manage more of what is going on when Tom Brady used to have more of his hand in the pot and Bruce Arians was also assisting. And the Bucks look like a mess. We can blame injuries, this, that, or the other, but it's just because they split and parted ways, started thinking about a contingency plan. When they came back together, it just wasn't the same. Whether people want to admit it or not, I'm not saying that Bucks players have lost faith in Tom Brady, but what I'm saying is they wavered some. You can just see it in their play. They seem like they're mentally not there sometimes. They checked out, and that was not an issue prior to Tom Brady leaving the team and coming back. The next one is another Hall of Fame quarterback and his coach. That's Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur. This is the relationship that they look good or perfect even from the outside, but have a complete lack of communication, letting behaviors that they don't like about each other go unaddressed until it sends the union into a spiral. You had the back-to-back NFL MVP in Aaron Rodgers. You had a head coach who came in and went 13-3, and 13-3, and 13-4 and and in each of his first three seasons, Matt LaFleur. And people want to blame it on Devontae Adams, but there's still a lot of the foolishness that's going on behind the scenes that seems to be permeating and making this team not be good. Because the line is in the sand. They were 3-1. and one. You know what they were doing prior to that 3-1? and one? They were sticking to the script of what Matt LaFleur kind of wanted to do, and Aaron Rodgers seemed to appease it. Basically, run the ball, take timely shots, fixing things. Against the Minnesota Vikings, that's a whole different story, but then they rattled off three straight, including coming to Tampa and winning a pretty big game where, for all intents and purposes, they dominated that game early on and almost went up 21-0. But now, it's a, I feel lost, I'm going to defer to Aaron. And Aaron Rodgers has thrown the ball roughly 74% of the time through these three losses. In all three losses, they were either tied or leading at the half. Two of those by double digits. And then they've been bludgeoned in the second half because things have fallen apart. That's a situation that, honestly, they have to take a look in the mirror and Matt LaFleur just has to say, I'm the coach. Run the damn plays. We're going to run the ball. And if Aaron Rodgers really wants to win and be a winner, he'll do it because this isn't working. Or they'll be picking really high in the draft upcoming. And that's a pretty bad situation, but this one is the worst type. This one is the predatory type. Jameis Winston and the New Orleans Saints. This is a classic case of one party using the other with no intention of commitment. They've said things publicly that speak to them wanting to be with that person, but their actions, a consistent wandering eye, tells a different story. Listen, Jameis Winston came out and for everyone who talked negatively about him and turnovers and maturity issues, extremely mature with that team, led them to a 5-2 start before tearing his ACL, 14 touchdowns, 3 interceptions. Now you can point to the amount of yards per game, 
Granted, but there are people on morning television shows right now calling Daniel Jones for a new contract when he has not even nearly the numbers that Jameis Winston had yet. He needs a new contract. Gotcha. And that's fine. But keep things consistent. Jameis Winston Rehab came back this season. Led a comeback against the Atlanta Falcons, a team that initially people thought was going to be a bum team. Kudos to Emory Hunt for calling out. He's like, this roster's better than you think. They'll win seven or so, maybe even eight games and challenge for the playoffs. Remember him saying that. People scoffed at what he had to say. I understood what he was saying. So the comeback against them. Suffered broken vertebrae. Played solid football against the Bucks for three quarters until it all melted down. But the entire team melted down, folks. Tried to play through it. Didn't look good against Carolina. So they finally sat him. Instead of caring enough about him, just sit him early on anyway. After that Bucks game, should have sat down with the broken vertebrae. In comes Andy Dalton. But they've been looking for a replacement. And we've already had the conversation about my beliefs on how the Saints and the South operate when it comes to quarterbacks. Oh boy, you have a type. But you were looking for Deshaun Watson before Andy Dalton signed. And now Andy Dalton, who, to be candid, has about the same numbers in some respect as Jameis Winston from a touchdown and interception perspective, including throwing a terrible end zone interception on Thursday night. And then one of the pick sixes was also just something that a junior high quarterback isn't stupid enough to do. But yet, they're going to ride with Andy Dalton. Guy who's not going to be their future. Clearly a journeyman at this stage. With Jameis Winston, who I believe is still 28, still having the opportunity to be their future. I'm actually glad that the Saints are doing that. Because as a Saints fan, we deserve this. We've earned this. We are the Aints. And we will continue to be them. Jameis... I wish you the best of luck, man. And if they give you another opportunity, I hope you kick their teeth in and then go take the money somewhere else. So that's that segment on relationships, how NFL quarterbacks are treated, and how true romantic relationships sometimes look, whether for better or for worse. The great thing that I got to see this weekend is I got to see an amazing one happen. All right, we're going to move on to new faces and new places. And I want to talk about a couple of trades that have happened since the last time we did the show. And I'm going to go in order of when they happened and also just tell you the date and where they went and my thought process on them. All right. So we got Robbie Anderson going from the Panthers to the Cardinals. And I called out, you know, the incident that happened on the sideline. And I said it and I'll stick to it. I've heard no negative things about Robbie Anderson from the people who know him. Only said good things. So that was something that unfortunately happened. I didn't like seeing it because it paints a certain picture. But guess what's happened since then? (laughs) You saw a team go and beat the Buccaneers with P.J. Walker, all the things that we talked negative about. So, Steve Wilkes, good for you. Robbie Anderson got to go. Now he's on the Arizona Cardinals. So he left the Panthers for the Cardinals on October 17th. And good for him. New place, new new situation for him. Wish the best of luck to him. And I think that it's actually a good match because what's going to happen is with DeAndre Hopkins coming back, he's going to be a target monster. You're going to have Robbie Anderson operating as the Z for now, which is a good spot for him. He'll be able to get over the top run some of the intermediate routes, but a lot of post routes and things like that, allowing Rondell Moore and even Greg Dortch to operate underneath until Hollywood Brown comes back. And then he'll be able to operate in the slot quite a bit, using Rondell Moore as more of a gadget player in situations. So good move. 
I've seen some of the grades that were put online and it said a great move for the Panthers, which it was. But I think it was a great move for the Cardinals in general also because it does make more natural fits happen. A.J. Green is not the same guy anymore in his career. Robbie Anderson can come in and actually be what they needed at that position. His former teammate, Christian McCaffrey, went to the 49ers on October 20th. Now, did they give up quite a bit for him? You bet your tail they did. But I think the San Francisco 49ers are saying this, and just bear with me on this. They already went all in on Trey Lance, something that I didn't believe they should have done because I like the fit of Justin Fields for them, just like I liked it for Atlanta. But it would have made more sense with Atlanta, to be candid. You wouldn't have had to give up two first-round picks also to get them. But they gave up a second, a third, and I believe two-fourths. Hey, they believe that they have a chance to win a Super Bowl this year, and they're not completely wrong. If they're healthy... This is a team that's formidable. They ran into a buzzsaw this weekend, folks. Patrick Holmes and Andy Reid showed you exactly how good they are. Everything that they did against San Francisco 49ers team in defense, you can't replicate. You know why? First off, it's the first time people did it to them in that manner this season. A lot of reverses using the 49ers' speed against them to get to the edge. Things that Kansas City did, just weren't going to work. It wasn't going to happen. 49ers are going to lose that game. But as far as McCaffrey, you paid that much for him? Think about what they've been able to do with good backs or average backs. Jeff Wilson Jr. is an average back. Elijah Mitchell is an above average back. Now you get Christian McCaffrey in that zone blocking scheme offense and you're going to bring back Trent Williams? This could be ugly, folks. It could get real ugly. Another running back left one team to go to another, and that's James Robinson going from the Jags to the Jets on the 24th. I feel like this was a good trade for both parties. They really want to lean more into the Travis Etienne situation. And James Robinson was struggling getting on the field. They just wouldn't put him on the field, and maybe it was because they had a trade in mind and didn't want him to get hurt. I think that eventually he will end up being a guy who gets a good amount of carries, anywhere from 10 to 15 per game, closer to 15, because they don't want Michael Carter to be that guy. Now, me personally... I don't understand the logic of saying a guy can't handle that amount of carries, but you also say running backs aren't worth it. So if running backs is disposable, why don't you give the guy the carries and dispose them? Because trust me, Michael Carter can handle it. Michael Carter, unlike his old teammate, avoided hits, and he did a pretty good job at it. Javonta Williams, and it's unfortunate the young man got hurt, but he didn't. He took contact. Javonta Williams fits a mold of running backs that honestly don't make it longer than five years because you all love watching running backs run themselves into the ground. Michael Carter fits the mold of a guy who will play seven or eight good solid years and even if he got more carries would still do that. Why? He doesn't take the big hit because he's smart enough to get out of the way and is an effective runner. But James Robinson's probably going to take that quote-unquote thumper role leaving Michael Carter to be more of the quote-unquote third down change of pace back eventually once James Robinson gets up to speed. But good move, all in all, I believe, for the Jets. Just for depth, if nothing else. Uh, on the 25th, so yesterday, Jonathan Hankins went from the Raiders to the Cowboys. Really good move for both teams. They were too heavy at defensive tackle, the Raiders were. Without even properly utilizing those guys, they just had a lot of D-tackles. And they even kicked Cleland Farrell in uh, to play D-tackle because he can't hold the edge, to be honest. Um, and the Cowboys, as much as they get up to the passer... Certain situations, you need a run stopper. Hankins can stop the run. Uh, he's going to be more of a 
you know, 40 percenter, right? He's only going to play 40 percent of the downs. Uh, it's going to probably be late in games when they're trying to like early in games, I should say, um, when they're trying to make sure things are taken care of in the run game. And then on third downs, unleash that NASCAR package of uh, rushers. And then the final one was made today. This is a big one. This is a big splash play. Robert Quinn left the Bears to go to the Eagles. I think this is a great move for both of them. I do think the Bears are, I don't want to call it rebuilding because to me, rebuilding means that you need to tear something down. No, they knew that Robert Quinn was at a certain point in his career, a certain age, I believe he's 34, where he's got another year or two of good football left. Let him go to some place where he can get a championship. But also, they get back value. They are a young team. And they have a good franchise quarterback who can actually do some things if you get them pieces. And this is how you get them pieces, getting draft picks. For the Eagles, they get a situational rush in who can make sure to be in that rotation. The last time that they won the Super Bowl, I said this and I got lambasted for it by Eagles fans and just in general. I said, Carson Wentz isn't the MVP of this team. The defensive line was. And they won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles because that defensive line got after Tom Brady late in that game and caused a fumble to win it. In this situation, I feel virtually the same way. Yes, Jalen Hurts can win the MVP, and I am good with that on a personal level. But they're going to win because both the offensive and defensive lines are strong, and they do have pieces that work well along with that. You can win the trenches on both sides of the ball. You have a damn good shot of getting to and winning the Super Bowl. And the good thing is they have a quarterback who's not scared at the moment, much like Nick Foles wasn't either. All right, so this last portion of the show that I want to go into is just kind of a, you know, we do power rankings. Not me personally. I like doing, I don't like doing one, two, three, four, five, et cetera, right? I like doing tiers because it explains where people sit in my mind. So when you do see power rankings, usually people look at people's records and they say, oh, that's where people should be, blah, blah, blah. You know the only time that your record matters when the playoffs start because it means you might get it and you won't? Early in the season, you know what matters? How you looked. What do I mean by that? Basically, point differential is a pretty solid indicator to whether or not you're a good team, not your record. They usually work in conjunction with each other, but I think it's a better tool to tell who's a good team or who's not a good team. Case in point, my top four teams in the NFL. Last week when I talked about this, and I actually had the fifth being the San Francisco 49ers, which I don't feel terrible about that, but they can float outside of that. But I feel pretty good about my top four teams. Well, their point differential is all in the top five. Buffalo Bills at plus 95 and number one. Philadelphia at plus 56 and number two. And the Kansas City Chiefs at plus 51 are number three. Dallas Cowboys are number five with plus 30. And sneaking in there with plus 41, the Cincinnati Bengals. I think the Bengals are in that bubble. I think they can make it back to the Super Bowl. I don't think they will, but I think they could make it back. It's a murderer's row. If they were in the NFC, maybe they'd have a better chance, but no. So those to me are some of the better teams. You get into the middling people. And there's some teams that have excellent records. In fact, only one loss. But they're in the plus 20s. The Minnesota Vikings, they're plus 21 at 5-1. And And the New York Giants, plus 20 at 6-1. New York Giants, unlike Minnesota's one case, I think they've had a softer schedule. I feel like the New York Giants have proven that they trusted each other well enough that late in games, they keep winning these games. Something different about them. They're a scary team to play, especially in the playoffs. 
Do I think it'll fall apart in the postseason? I absolutely do believe that because belief only goes so far. Postseason, the teams that have been there are used to it, and those are the teams that'll probably slap you in the mouth. You won't get a chance to play a close game against some of those teams. So just kind of going down the list, there are some teams that have terrible records that also have winning records, a winning point differential. Right behind the New York Giants, who are 6-1, keep that in mind, plus 20, the team they just beat, the Jacksonville Jaguars, are 2-5 and five and plus 18. Jacksonville's a good team that does not know how to win yet. You can tell that. You can just watch those games. They didn't know how to win against the Giants. They had multiple times to win that game, but the team that felt better about themselves as a unit got the W. Kudos to them. But Jacksonville's a scary team to play because even though they're 2-5, and five, look at that point differential. Plus 18, ugh, you don't want to play them. The only team that has no plus or minus, so they're zero. They have the same amount of points on the season as they've given up. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right in the middle, baby. Zero points. And they're a 3-4 and four team. And you know what? They should be right there. You know what I mean by that? Tampa Bay Buccaneers are good enough to kick people's tails, but bad enough to get their tails kicked by anyone in this league. They'll make the decision on who and what they want to be. And it will start with Tom Brady, which is very unfortunate for him. 45 years old, real life is affecting him right now. But if anyone's going to do it, you know, go through all the stuff he's going through, be 45 and still come up on top, I'm not going to count Tom Brady out for the rest of the season because that's one of those guys that you can't count out. But I do want to name off a team that has a pretty good record that has a terrible <laughs> plus minus. That's the Los Angeles Chargers. They're four and three. And they just lost. And they just lost to the Seahawks and got blown out. They're minus 25. They're four and three. They were minus prior to that at four and two. They're not good. Now, I'm going to make this statement, sound like a hater, sound like I'm piling on, but I've said this for multiple years. Justin Herbert is extremely talented. He throws probably the best looking pass in the entire NFL. That includes Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, whoever you want to name. It's pretty. It looks like what a quarterback coach would teach you to throw when you're a kid and it just becomes a natural motion. I don't give a crap about that. I have never seen Justin Herbert really win a big game or do anything to move his team and move them forward except one time and that was in the Rose Bowl against Wisconsin where he ran for three touchdowns didn't pass for them because he uses athleticism and he was just bigger stronger and faster than those guys that team is too talented to the point where everyone including myself when I did my projection metrics not my picking each game but your projection metrics give you certain percentages for each game. Case in point, you don't get a one or a zero like when you pick a game. You'll get .74, and that means you have a 74% chance of winning that game. That's an excellent percentage. It's usually more in the high 50s or low 40s. You add those all together, and I believe on the season they came up with uh, 11.95. They were the second highest behind the Philadelphia Eagles that came up with just about 12. They were right neck and neck, but the Eagles were number one, the Chargers were number two. And guess what? I hated that because I didn't feel good about it. I had the Chargers not winning that many games. I had them winning two less games than their projection. Reason being, I don't trust them. 
and I refuse to trust them so they let me trust them. They have to give me a reason to trust them. This is not a good team. They have to prove that they are because they have the talent and do not tell me all the injuries that have happened. Baltimore was the number one seed in the AFC in week 13 last year with everyone on offense gone and multiple defensive players gone. But that's the difference between Justin Herbert and Lamar Jackson. One dude is Superman. One dude just looks like him. And last but not least, just to name off some of the teams that are really frustrating. Just told you the Chargers are 4-3 and three with minus 25. Guess who has minus 25, but they're 2-5. and five. The New Orleans Saints. Really good time to have a 2-5 and five record when you don't have your first round pick. Kudos to the Saints for making great decisions. And then kind of the teams you expect. The Colts, minus 27. The Washington Commanders, minus 31. Houston Texans, minus 31. Detroit Lions, minus 48, unfortunately. It actually hurts me with the last two teams. Because I root for the Detroit Lions. I like what they're doing, but it's just not coming to fruition. It sucks. And then the guy I consider the second best coach in the NFL over the last decade, and that's Mike Tomlin. The Steelers are minus 55. But you know what? The Steelers have also played every hard hitter. They've played every good team. They played the... Just go look at who they played, man. They played so many good teams, and they actually just pulled off a victory against one of them, beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Whew. All right, folks. Look, that's week side Wednesday. Again, the topics are going to vary. Sometimes I even talk about college football. I didn't have much to go over with college football this week. I'll probably have more, if not next week, the following week. Because there's going to be some big games coming up on the slate. Yeah, I could talk about Alabama, Tennessee. Yeah, Alabama doing their usual Alabama thing, which is if we do fall behind, watch out because we might win. And Tennessee looking like, legitimately, they look like the, what, 1993 Houston Oilers. That run and gun, run and shoot type foolishness that they use. They literally use a go route as a slant. That that's that's their normal offense. It's amazing to watch and it's fun to watch. And I'm rooting for them when they play against Georgia personally because I like seeing that style of offense come back. I used to love when Oregon ran a variation of it, uh, spreading you out and just kind of getting high, uh, fast paced, uh, tempo that type of situation. So I like seeing it, but. I want to wait until, you know, I get a little bit more on the plate. And the last comment I want to make, there needs to be more conversation about this young man at quarterback because we've talked about the Will Levises of the world and even Anthony Richardson's of the world. For better or for worse, for both of them, the opinions differ. If you like one, you generally don't like the other. Cool, whatever. Jaden Daniels from LSU over the last two weeks has played his tail off. He had six touchdowns, three on the ground, three through the air against University of Florida in the swamp. Tough place to play. Balled out. They won that game. Comes back down 17 to three. His team was. And then that young man and that team for LSU against the number seven Ole Miss Rebels, which, by the way, they shouldn't have been ranked number seven. If we're being candid, I think the FPI had LSU ranked ahead of them because Never mind, I don't want to get into it, but y'all get frustrated with me. But anyway, came back, went on a 42-3 run to win 45-20, and he had five more touchdowns. 
There needs to be more conversation. That's the type of young man I want as my quarterback because he's still growing, but he continuously has gotten better and he is unbothered. You know who he reminds me of in some respects? Not that they play the same, but that same demeanor. Jalen freaking hurts. You want that type of guy as your quarterback because guess what's going to happen? When you need them, they're going to show the heck up. That's what you need in a quarterback. All right, folks, this is Chris James. Again, if you don't follow me on Twitter, I'm a good follow. You'll probably hate half of the stuff I, I say, but at least you get to yell at me. Uh, it's at CJ Florida 9. It's at CJ, the entire state of Florida spelled out in the number nine. Until tomorrow for Turf Talk Thursdays, enjoy yourself. Enjoy your family and friends. And more than anything, enjoy who and what you are. And make sure to give yourself a break once in a while. Take care. Bye-bye.